Um, I mean, we'll close that too. Just okay, sure. Yeah. My name is Julie Sando. Well, I started teaching um, analog photography. So um, I was already talking about my experiences in the darkroom and, you know, even like filters, for me, the term comes from something that you screw on the end of your camera and there's always a consequence for that um, as far as your exposure goes. So I'm a photographer. I've been practicing photography for 25 years, um, got into teaching about 20 years ago, started teaching in the darkroom, um, photography became digitized took me a long time to warm up to digital photography, but indeed did, did do that. Um, cultural studies, started teaching cultural studies and design uh, maybe 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I have been living and practicing and working in Windsor and teaching at the School of Creative Arts for years. And now I'm working here and we're meeting today in the Office of Human Rights at the university. Hey, Walter, <laughs> we're gonna talk about Instagram and we're gonna talk about Facebook and censorship and hyper-reality. And uh, your favorite art, well, not your favorite favorite artist, but you wanted to talk about Mark Leakey or Leakey, Leakey, I think, right? yeah, yeah. And another guy, uh, Jordan Wolfson. Have you heard of Jordan? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. Yeah. We we'll talk about him. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, thank you for doing this. And uh, uh, um, basically, we're talking today about hyper reality, and it's a concept that I learned um, from art class. Uh, contemporary visual culture. Um, How many years ago was that? I think it was 2011. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and it just stayed with me uh, for for the past all those years, and I think it's especially relevant today. Um, there's some signs linking uh, uh, social media use to isolation and uh, even um, uh, jealousy. Um, and I have a direct quote from one person's experience with that that I'll get into a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But uh, if there's any introduction, uh, if, if, there's, if there's a way that you'd like to start off this conversation, uh, just from your own experience of uh, knowing yeah. about this concept. Sure. Um, you know, you and I were in that class together in 2011, but the topic, um, I think that students need to learn about Jean Baudrillard and hyperreality. So I've taught the topic and the text many, many times, but take up different angles with it each, each year, each semester. Um, I have my own particular interest in hyperreality, but it's not necessarily the, the information that I think students, first year students need to hear. Mm-hmm. Right. So today I'm happy to talk with you because I get to talk about my own interest in the subject mm-hmm. and not Absolutely. necessarily what students need as an introduction. Um, one thing that came up um, when you asked me to meet with you was um, I wanted to talk about Instagram. I had a conversation fairly recently. can't tell you with who it was, but they were saying that 100 years from now, people will unearth the selfies that they posted on Instagram with the dog ears. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I but do. that will be the the cherished family photo. Mm-hmm. Does that not blow your mind slightly? Yeah, it's... it's like, what's silly today will become serious or cherished. What's temporary will become historicized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, that uh, amuses me. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, um, uh, of course... Uh, I think sometimes uh, the statistics are really important uh, with just with with knowing like how uh, 
where we're at today with uh, social media use. So uh, the st statistics I pulled up December, as of December 24th, 2017, there are 800 million monthly active Instagram users. Uh, apparently nine, 93 million photographs are uploaded per day to Instagram. And just because uh, um, I'm talking about Instagram, I might as well talk about uh, Twitter and Facebook. Twitter, as of January 1st, 2018, uh, total number of monthly active Twitter users, 330 million. And Facebook, uh, at, for quarter one of this year, 2018, it's at 2.20 billion monthly active Facebook users. Um, so <laughs> th those statistics are kind of uh, mind-blowing, but... Um, let me see those numbers again. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. How many up photos uploaded a day to Instagram? 93 million photographs? Uh, yes. And per then, day. And then a uh, number of photographs shared to date 40 billion as of January 23rd, 2017. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, and how many of the 93 million have dog or cat ears or <laughs> pig snouts or flowers in their hair? Quite a lot of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... Uh, some questions that I wrote down for this talk. Um, as a social media user, uh, do you have any comment about your persona uh, as it relates to hyperreality? Do you feel like it sometimes complicates your reality as, and what I specifically mean is uh, people misinterpret your online representation for you in real life? I don't know that I have a great answer for that, but um, filters, I think, um, this warming effect or, you know, dramatic and cool, like they, those filters do not appeal to me. Um, maybe it's my generation, but we used to process film and we used to do a lot of manipulation to, uh, in the darkroom to like soup the wrong film with the wrong chemistry to get those kind of like trippy effects. And just to be able to use the little button, like to make that happen, just it seems so easy and so cheap. And I have to say, I don't really, I'm not enamored with the uh, the visual effects. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because I used to have to work hard for it and now it's so easy. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think about using those things and they don't seem to add any information. They don't seem to enrich in the photo in any way or help me say what I want to say with the photo. So I try them and then always reject them. Mm. So that's one thing that, you know, maybe an answer to your question is, uh, do you, it has something to do with reality. Do you want to have a, a gauzy filter between your, your representation of the experience? Or do you want to try to communicate the experience as clearly and sharply with unfiltered results? And I tend to gravitate towards the unfiltered. Uh, that's a great point that you brought up because um, I actually was a much more uh, passionate uh, Flickr user mm -hmm. and um, uh, I know they've been bought out recently um, and you also talked about how Instagram has been bought out by Facebook not too long ago. So um, and, and I also agree that initially I had two previous Instagram accounts, I think three, and I deleted them each time because I felt very uh, not completely sold on the idea of just the how big you could see the image i like sometimes i think that's the size of the image from the mobile screen i don't think that really gives it justice so uh, there's been a lot of times where i struggled with just the quality and you know i agree with you on the filter too um but at the end of the day it's it's one of those things where i think that sleekness of hyper reality it, it just sort of 
at the end of the day, it says, well, it's okay if it's a little bit cheap. It's okay if it's uh, if it's cons- uh, if you if you look at it for maybe like a second and scroll up, you know, mm-hmm. because that's how that's how we're consuming content uh, these days, and uh, that ultimately has been. Um, I actually have a quote about like America uh, consuming and then simulation. Uh, maybe if I could pull it up right here. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so this is a. Uh, uh, are you familiar with Coursera? Um, so it's a massive open online course uh, uh, platform, and I've done it before. But uh, there's a course called America Through Foreign Eyes, and they have a ch- chapter about hyperreality from Rice University. And this one, uh, uh, basically, this tangent was about how the American capitalist system is based on simulation because simulation stimulates consumption. And uh, the example they gave is that you have the choice of buying a car out of uh, hundreds of options, but the reality is that cars perform the same function (laughs) and most are similar (laughs) to each other. It's a simulation of choices actually to the buyer. Um, Harsh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But probably accurate, yeah. Right. Um, Yeah, that, that was... It was kind of like a... I think you're right, um, talking about how people s- scroll through and um, consume, right? To to make a connection to consumer culture is important right away in, in our conversation because we are consuming s- information and there's ads that pop up. Um, it's, it's all artificial and we're becoming increasingly more comfortable with the artificial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it feels like choice, and it feels like access, and it feels like knowledge, but that whole process is artificial. Yeah. Now I'm depressed. It's okay because uh, this is uh, this is a stage of life that we've been so conditioned into. You know, like the, this is the kind of subject that Radiohead sings about, and like the ly- lyrics to "Fake Plastic Trees." You know. A green plastic watering can. For a fake Chinese rubber plant In the fake plastic earth Are there any tips you would suggest for people to become more conscious when using uh, these social media platforms? Tips? Um, And then, yeah, when I wrote this down, maybe being more aware, more conscious of what exactly they're doing um but to be fair it's like i do know people who have no social social platforms too so i mm-hmm. i equally know people who are off the grid mm-hmm. and uh i mean like people like me like i've been conditioned through many platforms before this so right. um well uh, i fe- feel like we were just saying that it's getting a little bit depressing to think about all of the choices being artificial choices and re- distanced and removed and and all of those conditions and how depressing that is. But I am an optimist, and I do feel that um, the conversations one could have through these social media, you know, the connections that you could be making. I, I'm like you was a user of Flickr, and there's a community. There really is a community. I'm still too new to Instagram to say I found a community in the way that I had with Flickr, but I'm ever optimistic that these platforms will facilitate conversations. You know, you could take photographs for 25 years and no one might see them. Mm-hmm. And that would be personally satisfying, but ultimately you want to have a conversation. 
So if you're if, if someone could teach me some tips about how to find the right communities to facilitate conversation, I'd be all open to that. But I don't think I'm I'm the posi- in the position to give people tips. I'm just marveling at it, you know, as as someone new to it, and someone of my generation probably as well. If you want to find Windsor content, I'd suggest you do hashtag YQG on your photographs. <laughs> and why do I want that, Walter? Oh, that's yeah, no, that's that's a very fair and good comment. Uh, and uh, I, as someone who has actually like looked at that content, uh, I don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So why do you need that much noise? If you consider it noise, I've been using watching people, uh, colleagues of mine, using Canadian artist, um, as if that putting that hashtag next to your work is going to help you find a curator and help you find an exhibition, right? So it's it's self promotion, and some people are more comfortable with that than others. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand the tool, you know, as a career builder, but I'm going to try something more, like what you suggest. If you if you already said this, uh, feel free. Uh, we'll we'll move on to another question. But you talked about how you have your own specific per, uh, um, uh, perspective on John Baudrillard. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you did not say this already, could you please share that? Okay, sure. Um, so the the text that I read in grad school, which which was a very long time ago, was uh, Seduction, and it's not his most popular text. It was originally published in 1979 in French, and it wasn't published in English until 1990. I did check that before you arrived. And I did have pick up the French copy today from the library. Um, but I recall reading it quite a long time ago, and it stuck with me because he, the passage, he's talking about the difference between what he describes seduction as being a, a female strategy. Mm-hmm. So automatically, he's not going to be super popular you know, for... for um, bringing this the gender the heteronormative gender divide into it that females seduce and he talks about the strategy of appearances he talks about the woman who chooses to dye her hair blonde and that woman more accurately embodies a real blonde in our society than someone who was born with blonde hair naturally and i've used that example many times i've quoted from him or you know contextualize my arguments that way, that someone could embody something that is real or perceived to be real um, through artifice. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, <laughs> living through uh, 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 my, my time living in New York City specifically, I, I think, uh, and of course, uh, uh, such monumental events, world events like the 2016 presidential election in, in the United States. So uh, it's, it's kind of uh, uh, surreal to uh, witness um, basically along like uh, the spectrum of life from politics to architecture, like uh, of shiny new buildings and rebranding of, of neighborhoods that, uh, I mean, through waves of uh, gentrification, uh, uh, old people leave, new people come in, it's the same Brooklyn, it's the same Manhattan, whatever. Uh, so like I see this specific term to, to kind of like really kind of embody so many like aspects uh, but of course, I don't want to cheapen it, but maybe that's the irony of it, <laughs> of that of that specific term. Um, and I also think it's a great way of just kind of navigating, especially where we're at today. Um, and then I also uh, I actually 
I, I actually wanted to talk about indifference uh, because um, like the question I wrote to you, I wrote down was, uh, do you think the stimulation of social media, but you could also just say like also exterior events, uh, the phenomena of just living in uh, uh, 2018, um, the news media. Um, so do you think the stimulation going on these days uh, leads to an effect of indifference for uh, the person just trying to get by with their lives? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as you were talking about, you know, so eloquently about all of the different aspects that hyperreality touches, you know, I'm thinking about like hair color and I'm thinking of Donald Trump's hair and his skin, <laughs> you know, and like I'm being very, very focused, you know, on, on what I'm, how I'm relating Baudrillard's theory of hyperreality down to like hair color and skin color and the, the fakery. Uh, and you're you're attaching it to architecture and the news media larger, and, and I appreciate that. Um, but I think that with this access to information, which may be filtered and enhanced and perfected, and um, there's so much of it, right, more and more all the time, um, people are going to naturally need to control what they receive. You know, they just it's it, it's information overload. And that's something McLuhan talked about, you know, a long time ago. Um, but we're consuming, we're consuming more. Uh, you said 93 million photos uploaded every day. There's no way that you can process all that information. So the more exaggerated, the more hyper real, the more bizarre um, tends to catch you your attention, right? So there's a, a ratcheting up of what you choose to consume and it tends to be the intensely orange image or you know or or the freakish image Mm -hmm. um that you have to take pause to notice and not the thing that is closer to natural color or natural experience or uh, so what a bizarre situation to be in and who knows where we'll be if that continues you know I, i would assume it would continue where we'll be five years from now with what would catch our attention? Um, have you ever heard of uh, uh, the, uh, so there's this interactive documentary called uh, Universe Within, and uh, it's a collaborative uh, effort by the National Film Board of Canada and the New York Times. And it's a really cool, uh, um, um, like interactive web uh, uh, series, and you get to access like an, uh, an avatar. So it's like a human portraying a human and they, they take you to stories of people living in high rises in the internet. And uh, there's a specific story <laughs> of, um, uh, uh, I believe it's, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So uh, it, it's, uh, there's a rehab facilitation for uh, uh, um, teenagers who are addicted to the internet in China. Um, and then I think there was like a story in Korea of uh, uh, there there are uh, young people playing uh, video games for a career. So they're just looking at a screen uh, and that's their career. You know, they just uh, that's that's how they live. Um, and then, of course, we're accelerating into uh, whenever they they're actually going to uh, have uh, Oculus Rift available at, uh, you know, just Walmart or yes. Um, so we do, we are seeing that, that, that near future and, um, um, and we're sitting on a university campus that's, um, hiring academics who specialize in these areas to help us understand and teach next, the next generation of students how to negotiate these things mm-hmm. psychologically, intellectually, physiologically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, maybe this is maybe this is a good moment where you'd like to introduce uh, uh, that uh, content or like that exhibit that you ca captured at MoMA PS1. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, so Mark Leckie uh, is a British artist, and I happened to catch his work at uh, PS1, MoMA PS1, and he the show was called Containers and Their Drivers, 2017, and. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at any of that, but there is a one piece with a, a green screen of with a Samsung, I believe it's a Samsung refrigerator, and it's a smart refrigerator. So the black refrigerator is in a field of green, and you know about green screens, you can drop in any background anytime, right? So it's it's so strange, like it's just such a obvious black box of a commercial object and you're waiting for something exciting to happen to it, like like the screen to drop in something more animated or bizarre or eye-catching or whatever. But um, actually, the it's like a ventriloquist. The fridge talks back to you and predicts what you need. And, and, and of course, the technology for refrigerators is happening that the refrigerator could text you what ingredients you have in your fridge and help you plan your evening meal like that's where refrigerator technology is going so lucky has um, made a piece about about that kind of uh, engagement with the machine mm -hmm. another piece that he made um, was uh, pearl vision where he's sitting at a with a pearl drum between his knees and he's playing you know uh, doing his routine you know with a, a pair of drumsticks but the camera goes around this pearl drum, which is a highly polished chrome drum, and the, ca the camera has been digitally removed. So you're right in between Mark Leckie's legs. <laughs> you know, his, like, his, his thighs are open, the, the drum is there, and the camera is down in there, but you're, you forget that there's a camera involved because it's been meticulously digitally removed. Wow. The audio you're hearing right now is from Mark Lickey's Pearl Vision video. I will post a link to this video where basically you're listening to this podcast. Um, and the one other thing that he was doing, uh, there were many, many pieces and lots to take in, but he also had a dioramas of collage elements like 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 a museum right mm -hmm. <laughs> you just came from the museum <laughs> and one of the pieces sometimes he put in these uh, dioramas other artists works and one of the works that he put into his own work was a video by Jordan Wolfson and it's called female figure and it's a female dancer an animatronic figure who um, dances very seductively and She's wearing like white lingerie and like white boots and she's kind of gyrating. And when people come into the gallery space, she follows them with her eyes. Wow. And oh, and she's also wearing a witch mask. Mm. So she's like repulsive and attractive and she's responding to you in a natural way, but also super unnatural, creepy, uncanny way. So I think Mark Leckie's interested in the things that you and I are talking about, you know, mm -hmm. with the, the green screen for the refrigerator um, by cherry picking this one artist who's made this particularly creepy animatronic female form. Mm. <clears throat> I was explaining to someone the other day what Uncanny Valley is and... Uh, um, <laughs> 
the last time I checked how far, I, I guess, uh, technology is going with uh, uh, um, having uh, uh, robotic partners, uh, real dolls. Um, there's a, a series, Robotica, New York Times produced it. And there's a video where um, uh, uh, they go to the Real, Real Doll Corporation in California and they're talking about enabling AI so this Real Doll could actually have conversations with the person's partner or like the, the human. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, Are you more comfortable with that or a refrigerator that texts you <laughs> menu <laughs> ideas for the evening? Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I have no idea. <laughs> Which is more uncanny. I think that right. I'm more comfortable with the refrigerator okay. because it's a oh, black me too, me too. it's a black box. Right. Um, the minute uh, it takes the the form of the human, mm -hmm. it uh, goes up the uncanny meter. Uh, so um, one of my earlier episodes of Mission Island, I interviewed a postdoc uh, researcher who studies AI at uh, NYU. And he was talking to me about where I was like, you know, it, it's just so uh, um, a, such a popular theme to talk about AI. And um, uh, I mean, in my in my episode, I sliced like clips of Blade Runner and, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. So you could hear these popular uh, um, stories about like how people perceive this type of technology. And what he told me, like, I, I love this quote so much, but he, what he told me was that, yeah, I'm not afraid of like them taking over the human race. I'm afraid of like automation. So a lot of truck drivers are going to lose their jobs and a lot of other people are going to lose their jobs and it's going to be more precarious work. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. I was just talking to someone about um, close encounters of the third kind. Mm -hmm. And in my memory and my viewing of the cinema, that is one of the only films that the humans on Earth are waiting for the contact with the aliens. And half of them are freaking out out of fear. And the other half are super optimistic that they will be able to communicate. You, is that your take on it? Um, have you seen the film? I haven't seen it, but I remember having a book as a kid when it, and it explained the three different close encounters you could have with, with aliens. So, yeah. right. um, at some point, the scientists uh, decide they're going to try to communicate with the aliens through music. So they, uh, well, the aliens maybe offer a few notes and they, they quickly try to show off by responding with a few more notes and it becomes this really weird music competition. But there's a, at that point, everyone, the excitement is palpable because the, the uh, aliens are intellectual and they appreciate music and they are trying to communicate. So the fear dissipates because there is a communication happening and it's through this beautiful music. So I feel like, there is a lot of fear about hyperreality. There is a lot of fear about automation, um, AI. Like usually it's depressing, right? But then there's these moments where it's exciting and it's full of potential and you know people want to show off. Uh, this reminds, <laughs> I definitely, re I definitely re uh, remember me talking about The Simpsons in your class, but uh, this specific uh, uh, tangent you just talked about reminds me of the Treehouse of Horror Simpsons uh, moment where uh, one of uh, the, the Simpsons feel uh, uh, deceived by the aliens because there's that classic uh, moment where... Uh, uh, they think they want to like cook the humans, but it turns out that they just wanted to feed them. And there was a lot of space dust on the book, and it was like how to cook humans. And it's like no, how to cook forty humans? How to? <laughs> there's more space dust. And then like the aliens say to the Simpsons, "We could have gave you a sensation of joy." Uh, 
a thousand times greater than what you experience. And it, it, they're talking about these extreme, like, I, I guess, like the ideal, like, like a utopia, right? And I remember like studying utopia in grad school and like the reality is there is no such thing. People just always aspire to a an utopia. But uh, yeah, it's it's always something so uh, uh, dreamlike. And um, I mean, of course, if, if if you study or, you know, follow politics, maybe recent politics nationally, provincially, when you. you it's always interesting to see how carefully uh, politicians use words. Mm -hmm. um, you want to talk about democracy uh, uh, federally in Canada? Well, look at what the, what's going on in the West with that pipeline, you know? So it seems like two provinces are, are just completely divided and many communities are divided. But at the end of the day, because uh, uh, our prime minister is the leader of Canada, he's going to say we're united and this is in the national interest and uh, we are a democracy. So no matter how many internal conflicts there are, we have to say this is a democracy. So uh, <laughs> I know I, I, I think I just keep trying to take this specific term and try to like uh, mold it to like all these different areas because I think I think there's this human desire to uh, kind of avoid reality and just say, listen, this is this is the belief I believe. And then uh, it just takes the form of many, many different forms. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why I've been so stuck on this term for so many years. Um, and then, of course, when Baudrillard said America is hyper real, so like you're covering a lot of ground, you know, yeah, you build Disneyland just to show that um, uh, like I liked his specific quote about Disneyland because he said that that is a camouflage for like the jail cells and like the actual place of America uh, for for reality. I think Baudrillard has a kind of bad attitude um, <laughs> but it, the, those few nuggets like that really yeah, stick yeah. with you this one you know Disneyland for you um, the blonde for me um, I don't like him mm -hmm. but then he says these things and I think that is so right on and I can apply that to everything right right yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so maybe maybe this might be a really useful example to talk about <laughs> um, real stuff. And then like this is this is like a funny moment because I was like, OK, well, what's real? And then yeah. I had a walk the other day and I saw a bunch of kids playing soccer on on like a base, like on a field. And I was like, that's real. You know, yes. like don't overcomplicate it. You know, like that's. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, of course, you, you know, you could go into this crazy like uh, a tunnel of uh, overstimulation and negativity. Um, and then some of some of that stimulation is really exciting. And, you know, of course, I could attribute some incredible moments of my life to that, you know, uh, uh, simulated re reality. But um, at the end of the day, maybe you just look around you and uh, kind of take for granted you know, just say, well, this is an excellent Detroit River. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, we have to carry on. You know, yes. um, I was talking about photography. I keep bringing it back to that. But like having gone from analog to digital to like we're talking about Instagram, uh, you know, hashtag Canadian artist. Um, I feel that a lot of people, a lot of photographers are not printing their photographs anymore. You know, that everything does exist uh, online, you know, in, in these formats. Or um, when we print them, they don't look as good because they don't have light behind them.
<laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, the photograph is a, is a slice of reality, maybe, you know, with or without filters or, you know, as we've already discussed. But then to print it, it's like becomes like an object, right? I think people are so much more comfortable with images as data that when you present it with an artifact that is a photograph, it's it looks foreign or too real or I don't know what it is, but it doesn't have that, doesn't have the energy maybe that... Uh, an image with light behind it. So I'm, I'm going to do a shameless plug for myself. Um, but uh, my new work that I've been, I've been trying to do some digital print silk. You know, on the internet, you can just send your photos anywhere. And then miraculously, a little box will come to your house with your, you know, whenever you've ordered, right? That's the beauty of the internet. But uh, I've been sending some digital photos out into space. And then these, I have a new material object. And instead of paper, um, it's silk. Um, maybe because of the tactility of it, I'm hoping that people will want to engage with the object and feel something. You know, I think that's kind of what we're getting around to is people want to smell the grass that's been freshly mowed and go out and play some soccer. Or maybe that'll, you know, art is always going to change and photography is always going to change, but maybe bringing it back to something really tactile and tangible. You know, why shouldn't photos be printed on silk? Mm -hmm. That reminded me of, so there was this interview, uh, WTF Mark, Mark Marin, and he interviewed uh, Don Wass. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so I know he's the president of, uh, I believe, Blue Note Records. Yes. And um, there's, right. yeah, and there's a specific moment in the interview where he, as the, as the president, he talked about uh, introducing to members uh, this specific uh, package set. So like if you sign up in the mail, um, they'll send to you handcrafted uh, specific items, so it's very, uh, uh, very tangible. Mm -hmm. And they get that experience. They get that experience of the old record vinyls, and uh, they they master it the specific way. They they even talked about mastering Exile on Main Street, but just to do it the right way, because I guess they did it the wrong way. And it's like, no, it has to sound exactly how it was made back when it was made. But <laughs> so uh, it's this really fast. So it's chasing authenticity. Yes. Yeah. So there's a movement uh, away from. Uh, hyperreality, I suppose, and people are farming again, and they are craving vinyl records again. Uh, is that something you see in the people you talk to? Um, that I talk to? <laughs> um, I mean, uh, I, like, I think these are really good examples. Um, uh, I think some really famous and popular examples of just like places uh that might be you know considered hyper real like um like new york city's the high line like i think i was thinking about stuff like that and maybe you heard in toronto they they made a park underneath the gardner expressway in the west section mm -hmm. so uh there's a specific movement called the high line uh, network so they're talking about corridors that are uh just uh rebranding themselves and reintroducing themselves into the cities uh, uh, just using like a similar philosophy framework uh, uh, inspired by New York City. Right. If you put a few blades of real grass, will people come? <laughs> will people walk? Will people take photographs? Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure Highline has real grass, but <laughs> it's just uh, you also have uh, the times that I remember going on there, it's just uh, uh, very controlled, uh, uh, very manicured, uh, a lot of artwork a lot of fancy condominiums that are close by to it 
Um, I really wish I could tell you the artist's name, but I remember there was an artist that displayed uh, her work um, next to the High Line, and it was about uh, futuristic New York City where even the water towers became condos. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that after we leave today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to send that to you. It's very sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to say that you haven't covered I'm going to be thinking about people sleeping in water towers for for uh, several hours now for the rest of the evening. Okay. Um, I was thinking about uh, science fiction, you know, stories like, I'm trying to think of um, The Deliverator, uh, Snow Crash. Did you ever read Snow Crash? No. And the character is a pizza delivery guy, and he lives in a storage unit, or and people, like, sleep in caskets. Right, so if you, water tower is a, a kind of a step up from a casket or a mausoleum or a storage locker. Mm-hmm. Right, I know you're interested in the built environment, and uh, I hope that that day doesn't come that we are living in water towers, mm-hmm. um, and that people play soccer in the grass, mm-hmm. real grass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm aware of uh, uh, people actually sleeping in open graves in China. Uh, Uh, as a form of just housing themselves and also in Chinatown in Manhattan there's that have you ever heard of hotbeds so hotbeds are uh, when you rent a room for like a couple hours and uh, uh, so it's really cheap but you're renting it just to sleep and there's literally a person right next to you as you wake up and then they just go in and they sleep so it's uh uh, the rent is too damn high. That's what that one fellow who ran to be the New York City mayor <laughs> said once. But uh, <clears throat> uh, on that note, um, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks for asking me. Huge thanks again to Julie Sando for the interview. This is episode 13 of Mission Island, and thanks so much for listening. And have yourselves a happy new year. <laughs>